enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stansberry. Today we have with us Owen Plowman. Welcome, Owen. Hi, Mark. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. I appreciate you. I know you've been out and about traveling and appreciate you taking this opportunity. Uh, Owen is a Vice President of Business Development at Acronym out of Vancouver, Canada. And I want to mention that digital transformation is a very important part in the energy industry right now. And we're all looking at how can we transition as far as digitally. Some are taking on the challenge quite well, some not so well in the industry. There's ways to go about that in trying to bring opportunities for operators and those in the energy industry. And so we're going to be talking about those kind of things today, about scheduling and software and some other things. But before we do, I think it's important to know about you, Owen, and your background. It's a very exciting opportunity to do this because I've heard some of this before. But if you will, tell the audience about you, your early days up to uh, Actinum. Sure. Well, you've unleashed the dragon because once I start talking, I can't shut up. So I know we, we don't have unlimited time, but as probably people can tell, I have a bit of an English accent. I've been in Canada since 1973. I emigrated with my family back in the early 70s and I went to a university here. I did a master's degree in computer science, worked for a small startup company in the defense sector, and I was actually the manager of the software development group. And then I went in 1988 to Oracle Corporation, which was a wild ride for 14 years and was really interesting and really exciting at the start. And then as the company got larger and larger, it became more of a bureaucracy and I'm not good with bureaucracy. So when it got to 150,000 employees, I left and I started consulting to smaller software companies in Vancouver who are started by typically entrepreneurs or university profs or something like that, who don't really understand the commercial aspects of software and how to promote it. So Actinum was actually one of my customers, and I started working with them in 2004, and it was one day a week, and then two days a week, and then three days a week, and I joined them full-time in 2006, because it's a great company and great technology, and we've come a long way since then. The other slightly interesting bit of trivia is that when I started at Oracle in 88, I met a guy named Paul Maurer. And so he and I have known each other since 88. And he is the CEO of Actinum because he came along at the same time as me, 2004. We both started working with the company and we helped them get much bigger, which is what we were trying to do. So it's been a very interesting experience. When I started, I knew very little about the oil and gas world, but a lot about software and the industry. And now I know a lot about both. I'm a member of the SPE. I know a lot about oil and gas in the upstream world, and I'm currently learning a lot about downstream turnarounds and other things. So my thing is to have fun every day and learn something new. And that's still going on for me. And I just turned 65 and I've got no intention of retiring because I'm having too much fun. 
Well, congratulations. I'm one year ahead of you. I tell you, <laughs> it still works pretty well a year later, so don't. <laughs> well, see, you're still working too, so you're having fun. That's, I'm that's having good. a blast. I, yeah. Somebody asked if I plan to retire. I, I enjoy the business so much that uh, I don't know that I ever will. Yeah. Maybe down the road we'll think about that. But <laughs> but right now, I'm enjoying it so much. And when you talk about the challenges of companies that they have today, I mean, I mean, when I got started about the same time you did in, in the 70s or so, is di- different back then. We would start off, at least on my end, on a fax machine, and then winds up, you know, years later, we're high tech using iPhones and like today uh, on the laptops and so forth, quite a transition through the years. And uh, now I know we used to go out and try to plan wells. We would get the survey done and all these different steps along the way to make sure land title work was done, geology, geophysics, all those things, engineering, of course, all had to be in, in place. And we had our own way of doing things, that is. And, and that's okay, I guess, but it doesn't really keep us as effective and efficient, I don't believe, as we should be. So today we're looking at a digital transformation. I've been giving a talk through the last several years on digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom, how to take the modern world to the board, make companies more effective. Tell me about Actinum and how does Actinum fit into what I just described? So we're all about operational scheduling and we're getting into the planning world. So operational scheduling is short-term stuff, what happens in the next few days or next couple of months, maybe over the next year. Planning is longer range. You know, I've got a billion dollars to spend on an asset and I've got to figure out where I'm going to put my wells and what gathering network infrastructure I need and so on. And so we've expanded our footprint to get into that world now. But our bread and butter is currently the operational scheduling world. When I came to Actinum with Paul, they had a very powerful optimization tool But you can't sell that by itself. It has to be hooked up to something that makes it fit for purpose and useful in an industry. And we knew that in the world of upstream operations, there was a lack of efficient scheduling of drilling and completion resources and all of the other things that have to go on to get a well online and produce hydrocarbons. So that's what we really targeted our application at. So We were very, very lucky. We got Saudi Aramco as our first customer in this area, and we built a drilling scheduling tool for them, which was, you know, in those days, 2006, 2007, it was fairly primitive. And then the software was rewritten in about 2010, and it's been enhanced every year since then. We're just about to release version seven in the fall this year, uh, probably in mid-November. And we work with operators to schedule everything in their upstream set of operations. So you can go all the way from land acquisition through permitting staking, all of the readiness milestones that have to be in place, the workflow that you need to get a well to the point where you're going to spot it, drill it, then carry out whatever inspections you need, complete the well, put it online, and we can even go all the way to P&A at the end of the well's life cycle. And... What's different for us is that a lot of companies, when we encounter them or when they come to us and start talking about scheduling, they're using tools like Excel or Microsoft Project, and I call that 1990s technology. And what that does is tell you things like the date when a well will be spudded or the date you expect to put the well online. But what's missing and what is really critical for an operator is what's all the other data associated with the schedule and how can I model my operations effectively? So that's exactly what we do. We can 
gather a lot of additional data like cost and production curve information and associate it with entities in the schedule. So you know when you put a well online, you know exactly what it's going to produce over a given period of time. That starts to give you the ability to ask a lot of questions about your operations, like how effectively am I deploying my capital? How efficient are my operations? What could I do better? Should I think about adding completion resources or should I drop the number of rigs I have because I've got a cost ceiling? It allows you much more flexibility and capability in modeling the operations. And that translates into capability and enhanced effectiveness in the actual operational world. Now, it sounds a bit strange to say that. How is it that you can put in a highly digitized solution, put some artificial intelligence behind the scenes, make the job of the scheduler and the team around the scheduler more agile? How does that possibly translate into the real world? Well, we have a lot of evidence that it does. Our customers tell us all the time of little sort of case studies and success stories where they've been able to cut down their cycle times. They've been able to improve their efficiency. So they suddenly discover because of the way that the tool works and because of the visibility it gives them into the schedule, they can spud more wells than they thought in a given year. And although that costs a bit more money, of course, they've got more hydrocarbons coming out at the end of the day and they're going to sell them. So they make more money. So it's a very interesting area. And it's one that is not always thought about as a place to go and get efficiency gains, but it really does pay off. When you talk about payoffs, I mean, are you talking about what range, percentages, or as far as the amounts of savings that you've seen, you've helped companies manage their funds, their financials better? Yeah, we have a lot of stories and anecdotes about that, and they go back a long way. The first deployment we did, which was for Saudi Aramco, I think they told us we saved them something like $5 million in rig movements in the first three months of use because they were moving rigs a long way, like 100 kilometers or so across from one field to another in the desert. The situation they would run into all the time was that they would have two rigs that started a long way apart from each other and each one would move when they would pass each other on the road and each one would go to a place about 10 or 15 kilometers from where the other one started. And all you've got there is non-productive time, right? So if you can streamline that and figure out a more coherent way of moving around the field, moving your resources around the field, then you're going to start saving money. And from the get-go, our software has geotagged everything. So we know where all the resources are and we know where all the wells are. So we can plot a course, as it were, to actually move your equipment more efficiently. We've had people tell us that they've saved tons of time and money in terms of the team's time. Where We had a guy phone us up a few years ago. I think it was a vice president at a Canadian company. And he said, you saved us one and a half million dollars in the last three months. And we went, okay, so tell us how. And he said, well, we used to have this two-hour argument every day where the team came together and looked at the schedule. And then people would start suggesting changes or there'd be some kind of disruption in the field and things would have to be altered. And there'd be an argument about what the impact of that was. And now when we use your tool, we can have four people in a room for about 20 minutes to half an hour. And they just go through all the changes and they can see the impact of those changes straight away because of your data analytic and reporting capability. We had a user who was given an award by the CIO in a very large organization for saving over a thousand hours of scheduler time in one year because they're not sort of wrestling with the tool and just spending time fighting with it and figuring out how to represent things. Everything they need is there. It's like being in a sophisticated cockpit. So 
the tool supports them in their job instead of just being a static entity that they have to constantly figure out and wrestle with. So that same customer, I think they saved something like $10 million in efficiency gains because they were able to improve their cycle time a couple of years ago. And the interesting thing for us recently was that during the pandemic, of course, when drilling virtually stopped for a lot of organizations and the price of oil crashed, what we were worried about was that our license count go down because we have an annual subscription and people would start to drop licenses because they didn't need them. And overall, our customers, we got about 35 customers, we maybe lost four or five licenses just because, you know, people sold off assets or they merged assets and one person was able to do the work of two. People find that the capabilities in the software to look at what's going on in the operational world to generate scenarios and ask what if questions and try things. That was all very valuable, even during the pandemic lockdown years, because people had to think about how to get back on track when lockdowns lifted and the price of oil came back. So they were looking at things like, you know, do I start operations with one rig or do I start with two rigs? And should I start that in the first quarter of 21 or should I start it in the half year? How many frac crews am I going to need? So the scenario capability, which lets you generate a scenario in seconds, was really valuable to them. And they just kept using it and running scenarios all the time. The size of companies, I mean, you're looking at from marginal wells all the way to the large companies. What's your client? It's a really broad range. We've got very small companies in the Permian Basin with one or two rigs, and we go all the way up to super majors. And working with a customer in the Middle East right now, they have something like 50 rigs going to 65 rigs next year in a massive unconventional project. So the question we're often asked is, is this software appropriate for a company my size? And, you know, I've only got three rigs. And the answer is yes, definitely. Depending on what you want to get out of it and the capabilities that you want to harness within it, because it has a lot of different capabilities, you will really see improvements, no matter how big you are, how small you are. So we had the fastest sale ever. It was something like one week from the time the customer contacted us and said, I'd like a demo this afternoon, if that's possible, to signing legal paperwork they signed up yesterday. And it just went, wow, way through the organization, all the legal paperwork got done. They were happy with everything. And they're a very small operator in the US, and yet they see the benefit. As far as a transition, as far as timelines, you get contacted, you go to the location or to the companies. What's the time frame in order to be trained to incorporate this into their entity? We have a pretty fast implementation. So usually you're up and running within two to three months. And that's a little bit different, say, to using an older tool like Microsoft Project, where you can basically put it on your machine and start scheduling the same day. Our software is highly configurable, so we can address specific needs for an organization. So what you are using in company A may be slightly different in, in company B. That doesn't mean we have a different version of the software, because that would be, you know, you can imagine that'd be a nightmare trying to support sort of multiple versions of the product. But the software all comes with a configuration which is specific to a user. So we do a little workshop with a customer. That's a day or two. Then we do the configuration. Then we load the scheduled data for them from whatever tool they have right now. We train the users, make sure everything's installed properly, and they're away. And that can be as little as one month. We can do it on site. We can do it remotely. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Given whatever restrictions there are for coronavirus, we might have to delay things or something. But we've been carrying on, increased our international presence throughout the pandemic years. We've done most things remotely. 
I was just in Australia visiting a customer back in June. It's great to see them and they were happy to see me. It's the first time I was out actually visiting an international customer since 2020. So it was really great. And, you know, everybody's happy with the way things work. Having a choice is always good, right? That's wonderful. Yes. Now, as far as locations for your offices, Vancouver, I guess, Houston, what other locations do you have throughout the world? I guess at least contacts for your company. So we're all over the place. We run a pretty distributed company and we were like that before the pandemic with people working remotely. So the head office is in Vancouver. We've got a team in Houston. That's where our global sales director lives. We've got something like four or five people in Houston, maybe more couple of consulting team members, two salespeople. There's another salesperson who lives in Florida, but nobody knows that. They think he's in Houston because you can, you know, if you have a laptop and a cell phone, you can be anywhere. We've got consulting presence in Denver. We have three people in Oklahoma City. And basically, we're always ready to get on a plane. As long as it's not too much, I love traveling. I'm off to the Middle East sometime soon, I hope. I was in Saudi Arabia in 2018 and 2019. I can't wait to go back. We've got other customers there. We're got customers in Asia Pacific, so we can be anywhere in the world within a matter of hours. As far as the market itself, and I don't know how you look at percentages, but as far as the U.S. especially, you know, as far as the percentage of those embracing this kind of uh, change, as far as scheduling, and I say change because it's going from the older ways to now a better way, I think, from what I'm hearing, for sure, uh, with Actinum. Is there a big market still there? I mean, from my indications, or the indications I have, that is, I know a lot of companies are not really embracing the digital world in quite a large number that I'm aware of. And so how do you see that as far as your opportunities? It's getting busier and busier for us. So if you think of a reasonably large oil company in the U.S., they're probably a name that's on our list. You know, there's a few that aren't. We figure... Probably there's 160 to 180 companies worldwide that would want to buy our technology. You know, there's a lot of companies out there that they're joint venture partners and they're not operating or whatever. We're not going to get every single one of those 160, 180 customers, but we've got something like 35 right now. And just to give you an example, I think to get to eight customers worldwide, it took us something like five years. And we signed eight customers in the last quarter of 2021. And we've been signing them up ever since then. It's just that I remember that last quarter because it was quite significant. We just kept bang, 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 signing customers. And all our customers are referenceable. And we have a pretty interesting model. When Paul and I came to Actinum, we did not want to repeat what we'd seen at Oracle, which is you basically sell a license and then you're off to sell to somebody else. And then you never talk to these people again. So we stay in touch with our companies, our customers every month. Part of the license fee includes a one-hour call or video session or an in-person meeting with one of our consulting teams. So we know what's going on. We're always there to help. We want to hear people's ideas because we want customers to tell us what would be useful on the roadmap instead of us sitting in the office trying to think up next greatest thing. So we stay in touch. And, you know, we have a customer that's been with us since 2013, and we still have a monthly call with them, and we're very tightly welded together. So we're a little bit different to a traditional software vendor. There are upcoming leaders, those that are in universities, as tech and other facilities around the United States and the world, far as that goes, that are listening and CEOs. What advice do you have for all of us, I guess you'd say, for when it comes down to a balance? You know, you travel so much. How do you regroup and how do you encourage those that are looking at similar opportunities that you've had 
How do you go about your future or their future and helping them? I think the most important thing at the start is to figure out what it is that makes you happy in your work life and go after an organization or a kind of job that meets that need, right? So my thing, like I said, I want to be happy. I want to work with people who are smart and interesting and customers who are like that too. And I want to learn something new every day. And that's been my mantra since I was, you know, 23 entering the workforce. So I've been very lucky in that respect. And when it stopped being fun, like at Oracle, when we got to 150,000 people, big bureaucracy, I went, okay, I'm done. I need to find something else. So that's one thing. I think the other issue is to have outside interests that really turn your crank. So I'm interested in biking. I live slightly out in the country from Vancouver. And I have an e-bike and I'm out on it every single day except for November, December. And I ride all over the place. And it really sort of recharges my batteries. And I also have a 1969 classic Volvo that I keep working (laughs) on here and there. So I didn't know anything about cars, basically, except for how an engine works about eight years ago. And now, you know, I have a hoist in my garage and I go out there in the evenings and bang around with wrenches and things. So I think it's really important to have a work-life balance and just have outside interests and things that you really are passionate about. You do a lot of networking, I take it. What's some opportunities that listeners should look at, those that are in the energy industry, when it comes to networking and how to go about networking? They're somewhat reluctant to go out that way, and yet I think there's great opportunities that way. Networking is a critical thing for me because I really enjoy, you may not believe it, and I know we haven't met in person, but until I went to Oracle, I was very introverted. I was very shy. I avoided anything where there was a seminar or presentation when I was in university because I just felt really shy about doing things like that. And now I love dealing with people. All of our user base, I would love to go to dinner with all of them. Unfortunately, I can't, but I really like the interaction, sitting down with people. And the network is a really important thing. I found when I left Oracle, my network in Vancouver was something that really helped me to get traction as a small consultant to other companies, because I'd talk to somebody and they'd say, oh, you should go talk to these guys. I can make an introduction for you. So the network for me was very supportive. I think LinkedIn is great. There are always meetings. You know, I know the Houston SPE Gulf Coast section has regular meetings and a great newsletter, and they're always looking for people. SPE, in fact, is a terrific organization for networking, and they have all sorts of different technical disciplines. There are other groups, like there's an SPE Permian group. There are all sorts of places to network and just meet and greet people and figure out what makes them tick and how you can help them, how they can help you. It's a challenge, but it's very fun and it really has a payoff. How do you keep up, when I say keep up, in regard to activities in the oil and gas industry, energy industry, as far as, you know, references or tools, what's something that you encourage others to do? That's a very interesting question. I don't watch TV news anymore (laughs) because I don't have time. (laughs) I'm constantly on the web. I subscribe to some newsletters. I'll give a plug to, I think it's the Spears brothers in Tulsa. They have a YouTube channel, which yes. is really terrific. John and, yes, John and I can't remember. Podcast, yeah. Spears. Yeah, they have a great podcast. Oh. They have a YouTube channel that reflects the podcast. They are really terrific in the upstream world because they tell you what's going on. They give you predictions. They talk about things that are really timely. You just have to spend some time and sort of figure it out. And you have to keep refreshing. So it's a bit of a chore. But there's a huge amount of information out there and finding it is one thing. Then you can be completely overwhelmed by too much. So you just have to figure out, you know, what what is it I'm interested in and what do I want to know about? 
there's stuff out there that will fit your bill. When it comes to execution, what advice do you have on execution for management in regard to success? The most important thing, I think, in terms of managing an organization or managing a division in an organization is to have metrics in place that make sense, right? The old saying, what gets measured gets managed is really important. So it doesn't really matter where you are in the organization. You need some key metrics, key performance indicators that indicate what is the health of what my team is doing. And you need to translate that down into individual objectives for each person in the organization. So everybody needs to be aligned and pulling in the same direction. And that's the really key thing. And then having a regular session where you review those metrics and other issues that are going on in the organization, that's really important too. So there's a bit of discipline involved and a bit of process. People will grumble, right? Then sometimes they don't make their metrics and their metrics look bad and you have to be prepared to encourage and look at that and figure out why that's happening and give people the support they need to get back on track. The thing that was happening in a very large organization that I worked for that I might have mentioned earlier was that if you started missing your metrics, basically you would just get yelled at. And that's really not helpful at all. It's frustrating for everybody. It makes you feel bad. You walk around for a day or two feeling really put upon. And what would be much better is let's figure out how we change this for you and let's do it together. That's the thing that I think is really important. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, dashboards, metrics, measurements are so critical, as you say. Yeah. I live by them on a personal basis as well as company. When it comes to checklists, I would say you've got scheduling that you can provide from the old way to the new way. And you've got some tools coming along the way, I think. Is that correct? Yeah. So we're moving to having a mobile device support. So we're building an application that will run on your smartphone that links to the big scheduling platform that we have. One of the things that I'm working on right now is taking our software out of pure drilling and completions into the broader scheduling area. So we're looking at shutdowns and turnarounds in refineries. We're looking at taking the scheduling platform into the mining industry. And I'm doing a really interesting project for a very large operator, which is all about keeping the offshore environment going. So we're scheduling everything from vessel movements to helicopter flights to crane lifts All sorts of constraints, like how many people you can have on an offshore platform at once. Again, the users are terrific. They're really fun people to work with. They're very nice. They're very smart about their operations. They're very keen to move to our platform. We're having success. So that's a new area for us. And based on the success we're having there, there's some other people in Gulf of Mexico who we're talking to about the same kind of thing, like scheduling more than just the drilling and completions area. Owen, what's the website to go to? Actinum.com, A-C-T-E-N-U-M.com is our website. Owen, thank you for being on this episode of the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury, and please keep in mind that the future of energy depends on us. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. 